If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You will not tear a muscle running. It doesn't happen. You get like hamstring strains. You get Achilles tendonitis. You get knee tendonitis. Because you, the muscular system is not activated when you run. It's 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 an overload of passive structures what happens plantar fasciitis like i could go on hip pain so ones i've had i've i've gone done my ankle badly i've had a lot of shin splints on my left side and again the thing that fixed that was single leg deadlift hi i'm Pete McCall and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the all about fitness podcast that voice you just heard is the guest for this episode Owen Everard. I'm releasing this in early January 2023. We know what happens. It's January. Everybody wants to get in shape. They want to do something new because for some reason, exercising in January is so different than exercising in December, than exercising in November, than exercising in, you know, I get it. New month, new year. We all, we all want to start new. We all want to do new things. But you have to understand that when it comes to exercise, we can't just do it for a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months at a time. It has to be something that's consistent that we do on a regular basis. One of the most popular exercise formats of exercise, modes of exercise that a lot of people try or a lot of people start when when people think that I'm going to start to work out this time, it's going to be different. I'm going to I'm going to do it. A lot of times they go out and get shoes and they start running and. Ah, well, if you don't prepare to run, you might get injured. And that's exactly why we have Coach Everard or Owen Everard today. What I want to talk to Owen about was Owen is not only a physiotherapist, so he can help you avoid getting injured, but he's an indoor Masters running champ. Or he's a Masters running champ. He is a middle distance Masters champion. And so not only is he a PhD in understanding the body, not only is he coach Pilates, not only does he understand how we should be training, but he's an elite athlete himself. If you're a runner, if you need the motivation to run, right now is the off season. And 
I want to apologize. I, I came on, I, I re- released a couple podcasts, and I took a little break. In December, I got nailed with two things. I got the flu bug in the house, myself, my kids, my ex-wife. Uh, we all got crushed by the flu, so I kind of threw a wrench in everything. And then I got my chapters back. I am writing a new book on the science of recovery. I have Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. Smarter Workouts will teach you what you need to know to work out. If you want to start a workout program, Smarter Workouts tells you what you need to know. If you want to know how exercise slows down aging, that's why I wrote Ageless Intensity. And links for both Smarter Workouts and Ageless Intensity are down below. And I bet you didn't know this, but I have a couple other ebooks available for sale on Amazon. I have Dynamic Anatomy, I have Exercise for the Fountain of Youth, I have Functional Core Training. There are going to be links for those books down below in the show notes. I put out content to help you understand how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. And that's exactly what my latest book is going to do. And that's why I got bogged down in December. December, I got all my chapters back from my editors. I needed to go through the whole, needed to go through the whole book, needed to make sure everything was right. And I'm writing a book on the science of recovery, on what you do after you exercise. It's going to be the first workout book on not working out. <laughs> kind of like Kramer's coffee table book about coffee tables. Anyway, wanted to bring you up to date. Want to let you know I had my chapters back. Editing is done. We have to do the photo shoot. And then the book on recovery should be out probably late spring, early summer. Um, I'm getting cranking with the podcast. i got some great interviews coming up as always. I'm going to be resuming my reading of Smarter Workouts, my first book, because I'm trying to bring you information that you can use to get healthier to learn how to exercise the right way this time. And that's exactly what I talked to Owen Everard about. Owen is, again, PhD physiotherapist. And what we talk today about, or what we talk about today, is about how you should be training. If you're a runner, this is how you should be training and the off-season conditioning that you should be doing for your running. Here we are, physiotherapist and elite runner, Owen Everard. Today on All About Fitness, we're talking about all things running with Owen Everard. How are you doing today, Owen? Hi, Pete. Thanks so much for having me on. Big fan of the podcast. So delighted to be here and looking forward to chatting. Well, thank you for joining me. And I really appreciate your time. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I want to talk to you about something that I think a lot of listeners have an issue with. And that's transitioning from their indoor training to their their spring training. And we'll get to that. I want to get to that because we know we know that happens. But first, I mean, your, your background is you're an elite runner. You have a PhD in biomechanics and you're a sports physiotherapist. And now, yeah. Owen, you're you're in Ireland, and, and I'm obviously in the States. And the one question I've always had, because I've heard the term physiotherapist for years, what the heck is a physio and what, what does a physiotherapist do? I mean, could you describe that a little bit? Because I'm sure a lot of listeners yeah, are like me, uh, they've heard the can, term physiotherapist, but they're not sure what the heck they do. Yeah, you call them physical therapists over in America. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm a chartered physiotherapist, which is like a physical therapist in America. Um, but we have... Like, so yeah, I'd, I would have worked in hospitals and done the degrees that way. And then you work in like outpatients and with um, musculoskeletal medicine. So it's it's like a physical therapist. We we have, um, you, you're actually way stricter regulated in terms of if, if, if someone like we, like I could do, I've done a courses in like, you know, manipulation. So I can kind of do chiropractic adjustments. I can do dry needling and then a lot of like massage and stuff like that, plus the rehabilitation side of things. So it's a little bit, um, it's not as, as strictly regulated. So you get to have more of a mix of skills than maybe a physical therapist would in, in America, but it's exactly that degree. So physiotherapy 
is physical therapy in in uh, the US. But ironically, we have people called physical therapists that are more like massage therapists. So if someone said they were a physical therapist here, they would mean they're kind of like a sports massage therapist as opposed to uh, a physiotherapist. So that's why. It, okay, the, that, that makes sense. Because what I always thought, Owen, Owen was was that a, a physiotherapist more like an athletic trainer, meaning they, they work like in the States, an athletic no. trainer works on acute injury. If I get injured on the field, um, before yeah, I get yeah. drug off before I get drug off the pitch on a stretcher, it's usually the ATC, the athletic trainer, taking a look at me to make sure that they don't need to send me off in an ambulance. Yeah, exactly. I actually did athletic uh, athletic therapy and training. So I went to Montreal and then I went on and did a master's in physiotherapy. So yeah, like so you'd have athletic uh, trainers here, but again, they'd probably do a bit more hands-on work and stuff like that than the athletic trainers over in America. But yeah, no, um, a physiotherapist is a physical therapist. So kind of hospital-based plus musculoskeletal, stuff like that. And then where, so where are you based on? Do you see your clients in a hospital? Where, where do you see them? Are you no, no. Practice? So, so here you can do private, a lot of the physios do private practice. Um, and a lot of them work in, in hospitals as well. So I would see like, um, people for private practice. I lecture here in, um, like it's called the technology as like a university in the Southeast of the country. And, uh, then I'm doing like sports Pilates a lot online and, I'm working on this new product called the back aware belt. So, uh, you know, multiple things to keep me busy. Well, and that's honestly, I mean, listeners are used to hearing that nobody in fitness has one job. I don't think anybody in, in, in no matter where you're located in the world, no matter what you're doing, if your job involves making half naked people sweaty, I think Owen, <laughs> you often wear, wear more than one hat. So now the other I think it's a good idea though, you always need like multiple things to keep you busy. Well, you need multiple things to keep you busy, and frankly, to be one hundred percent honest, you need multiple revenue streams in order to yeah. uh, in order in order to keep your head above water. But what got you interested? What what caused you to go get a PhD in biomechanics? What was it that caused you to become interested in physiotherapy and helping people move better? Yeah, well, it was that movement, especially the biomechanics piece. I was on the path to becoming a, a kind of physiotherapist, and I would have done placement over in America and like or in Canada and Montreal um in 2008 and uh someone came in they were talking about the functional movement screen and it just kind of clicked for me I was like oh my god that's such a you know because our the rehabilitations we would have been learning about were very like okay you fix the hamstring you know here's how you strengthen the hamstring here's how you stretch here's the things and like when they were talking about like look at the overall person look at the movements it just really clicked. It's like, oh my God, that's the missing piece that I hadn't seen. So I got really into movement then starting with the like functional movement screen, but then just moving out into more like movement patterns and that paradigm. Um, and got very interested in that. And then that led me to, um, uh, that led me to, uh, work a bit more on, um movement analysis in in more of a biomechanical sense and look at like the back and how we move and the knee and like um you know like how the mechanics can influence injury risk so uh yeah it just kind of progressed on from there really well i'm surprised the one thing that always surprised me owen and, and i'm interested in your experience since you went to schools obviously in in different countries and, and the one thing that's a little bit disappointing is the fact that a lot of academic programs are still teaching this kind of isolationist, revisionist approach to to exercise. 
what when you started yeah. learning about the interconnected, how did that change your approach or how did that how did you start looking at your academic work then? If if we understand, like if you if you go through the FMS and, and Gray, I recently re, I interviewed Lee Burton, one of the creators a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I reran, I reran Gray's interview. So for listeners, the functional movement screen identifies your levels of stability and mobility and makes sure that all muscles and joints can can work together. So as you're studying yeah, exactly. this and you, you learn the FMS, how did that how did that change what you've been learning in traditional schooling? Like it didn't really change what I was learning in schooling, but how I was applying things just dramatically changed. So uh, like, well, I love that joint by joint approach that every like joint has. So an ankle should be primarily mobile a knee should only flex and extend. It shouldn't have excessive movement left or right. A hip should be a ball and socket should have good movement. The lower back should be stable. And that. If the joint is tight or not moving correctly, usually there's three reasons, um, which we can talk about if you want, but you need to kind of correct that. And then a lot of times um, I find for injury risk, what happens is that people are like, so say an Achilles problem, say with a lot of running injuries, they're all passive structures. They're all like plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, knee pain, hip pain. And the, and the thing is like, say with an Achilles tendon, people are like, oh, you need to do heel drops, heel raises with knee problems. Oh yeah, do your squats, do your lunges. And it's like, that area is already overloaded in my opinion and, li- and thinking of an overall body. So it's like, it's not that this is weak and needs to be strengthening. It's like, there's other areas that are not doing their jobs. So for me, like with Achilles and Achilles tendon or Achilles or whatever way you want to say it, um, rather than just doing more work on the calf, I love doing like single leg deadlifts and like holding, holding that for like, say, 10 seconds, get the foot muscles burning, get the hamstring, get the glute working more and take pressure off the area as opposed to just focusing on this area and ignoring the fact that it's part of a bigger chain. And I have much bigger, better success. People say holding a single leg deadlift than I ever did people doing like heel drops, heel raises and trying to strengthen an overloaded area already, as opposed to strengthen the weak area that's connected to it. Yeah, and I, I could go on and on by that. Well, like hamstrings, the same working on like pelvic stability and not having an anterior pelvic tilt, putting the hamstring into a stretch, got me way better results than just working on a, a hamstring, but the hamstring's in a in a poorly uh, a lengthened position, so it's not moving correctly. And then wondering why, well, I'm strengthening that and still it's still not effective. It's like, yeah, you need to correct everything else and then work on the strength if that's still an issue. Well, and I think that's the big the big problem, Owen, is I think that we still, for whatever reason, a lot of people, when they, they look at exercise, they do exercise selection on that old bodybuilder paradigm, meaning yeah. I want to only exercise the hamstrings. I'm only going to exercise my calf. Why is that such – why should – if you're if you're a bodybuilder, and I, and I always try to point this out because if you're an aesthetic athlete and your purpose yes. is to try not to pass out while you're on a stage in your underwear, and I'm being very specific about that because anybody <laughs> who's ever watched anybody who's ever watched anybody diet down in the last 24 yeah. to 36 hours before a show, it really is an effort. It, it's, it takes a lot of work not to pass out from lack of carbohydrate. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. And, yeah. and I describe, I often describe um, bodybuilding contests as more of a chemistry experiment as opposed to an exercise outcome. Cause really it's those who have the best nutrition, which 
yeah. biochemically in the body is chemistry. So when we look at it, why why is this bodybuilding model of isolation? Why should we discard that if we're looking if we're if we're an athlete, if we're a runner, if we like to go out and play, if we like to go out and hike, why should we be avoiding those isolation exercises? And what type of exercises do you think, in your experience, would be better for us? Because they're not functional. Like as you said, you you see the opposite. You see the same thing with powerlifting. If you're talking about the sport, of course, like, but I see people, say a rugby player or uh, someone doing anything, and they're arching their back like crazy. And they're like, oh, well, I saw that guy do it and power for a powerlifting. So that's the way you, you bench press. No, no, no. He's in a competition and he knows if I arch my back up loads, I don't have to bring my arms down as far. And that's easier to complete the lift. That's the only reason he's doing that. And they make up all this like mumbo jumbo of, oh, it's it's stabilizing. It's like that's not functional in terms of how you'll ever have your your back or your your core. So I always think like, Look at the full movement, you know, like have, you know, whole body movements where basically you're stable through your core. You're moving either through your arms and your legs, and that's going to give you functional uh, transfer for sport or for life much more than isolated body, um, you know, isolated, isolated exercises. And you said it, Pete, if your if your goal is to do bodybuilding, that's fine. Or even if you want to increase the size of your arms, say, but a lot of times, you know, like if you ask people, do you want a bodybuilder body? They'd say no. But then it's like, why are you training like that? You know, it's not, it's not functional. It's, it's like I was an, I'm an elite athlete. I'm getting towards the end of my career. But I, but being an elite athlete isn't healthy. It's, you're doing things that are like top 1%. It's not healthy. The, like people copying, you know, drinking loads of, Gatorade or isotonics because they see an athlete do it. It's like they're only looking for the top, top performance. They're not thinking about healthier. So sometimes we got to be careful about who we're, who we're basing on and having a look at what they're doing because you can, you can copy things that won't actually help you in your day-to-day life, you know? So it is, I think, functional exercises, being on your feet, exercises that you move through your legs where your core is trying to stay stable you're being aware of your body and we can talk about the paradigm i use um when developing good strength so it's not isolated um the type of exercises you want do you want to do that actually or do you want to just well let's well i was going to ask you let's let's talk about your athletic career for a second owen because okay yeah. I, that was very impressive and i want i want listeners to understand like your background because you're not just talking about this because one of the questions I want to ask you about is your athletic career and how did, as you learned this and you took this approach, how did it change your training and what effects did it have? So real quick, just give us a brief, because you're, you're an elite level. Yeah, runner. I'm going to be really, really brief because I hope just we can give listeners like most value of what they want. And if people have questions, I've no problem coming back on. Basically I'm like a five-time national champion um, in Ireland here. I've ran for Ireland at world student games, European seniors from 800 meters 1500 meters to 10,000 meters so a nice range I've been in the sport I'm like 36 I've been competing at a high level since I was about 16 uh highlights would be a sub four minute mile um I've ran sub like sub eight for 3k sub 14 minutes for 5k sub 30 minutes so you know 13 minutes 15 29 minutes for for 10k so like they're they would all be 
quietly times, you know, anything sub 30, anything sub 14 minutes for 5k or sub four minutes would be considered uh high level. And then this year as um, I was European over 35 masters champion as well. Um, yeah, so that's just a really quick rundown. Well, real um, quick about, about that, Owen, because because congratulations on getting that European Masters Championship. Yeah, thanks so much. And, and what listeners can't see is I have that kind of a little grin on my face because how does it feel? On one hand, and I mean this sincerely, congratulations for getting that championship because you did have to beat a whole field of competitors. But as an athlete yourself, how does it feel to be getting that that old boys or that Masters title? What, 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 yeah, what goes on, what goes on like, in the mind of an least, athlete when you make yeah, that Yeah, it's funny. It's nice. It's a nice one to win. Like in a way it's great because you go from competing, like I'm still competing at a good level, but you know, it's like you're going in and you're competing against 23 year olds, 25 year olds. And like, it's just harder to win. Like I'm, you know, I'm working, I'm just getting on in your career. So it's actually great that you have something new where you can actually be competitive in races again and, and stuff like that. So in that way, it's great. But uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. I don't, I don't, some people love the, the masters. It's great just to drop in, but I keep, I still try to compete with the young guns. <laughs> well, it's funny because <laughs> I did successfully as in the past. Well, yeah, in, my, enjoy it. in my late thirties, I played, so I played masters rugby and I, I did, you know, in my oh, really? late thirties until about 40, I, I would play masters. And then if I, depending on the tournament, I might pop in a one or two of the open games, not the competitive matches, but I'd pop in the open games and running around on the pitch at 38, 40 years old with people in their t- early twenties is a very it it definitely wakes yeah. you up. Um, but it was funny. I uh, my mates and I, I I played with an Irish rugby team. I played with the Boston Irish Wolfhounds. Oh, brilliant! And we played a tournament down in Florida. I think I was 38, 39 years old, and we're in the open division. And it's just you know when it was a bunch of us whole cranky cantankerous many of these Irish guys playing against a college all star team as the Florida All Stars. So most of these players were under the age of twenty three. And I while know, they're extremely they were, rugby, like the power, um, they, they were so much fitter than us, but we had, we had a great, we had a great fullback who we knew tactics. So we, we beat them because we made them run around the pitch. We, we were able to yeah. drain their batteries. And so by the last 10 minutes, you had a bunch of old men just shoving it down their throats because we had played tactics and we had, we had paced it. But when, when we trained, so come back, I want to come back to your training. So as you learned this integrated approach, you went from years, years of elite level training how did, what are some of the fallbacks? Like what injuries did you have in that earlier phase of training? What are some common injuries of runners? And, and did you experience that in your early, earlier parts of your career? Yeah, I've had all the injuries. So, um, not, not, nothing super bad, but like, as I said, all running injuries are passive injuries. You do not like say a rugby player, get a, tear a muscle. You will not tear a muscle running. It doesn't happen. You get like hamstring strains. You get Achilles tendonitis. You get knee tendonitis. Because you, the muscular system is not activated when you run. It's, it's, it's an overload of passive structures, what happens. Plantar fasciitis, like I could go on, hip pain. So ones I've had, I've, I've gone, done my ankle badly. I've had a lot of shin splints on my left side. And again, the thing that fixed that was single leg deadlift. Like not heel drops, heel raises. Getting the hamstring and glute working way more getting the foot muscles switched on to where the point where I couldn't stand on that foot. I just did single leg deadlift till I literally could not stand on the foot, like holding for 20, 30 seconds, doing 10 reps. Um, then I've had, I've had knee pain. I'm still kind of working on that a little bit. I had a hip injury for, that's what really 
um, I've had a good long career because of of that functional approach, like you know, having hip hinge ac- ac- exercises, having knee dominant exercises, keeping my core solid. I had a hip injury when I in my late twenties that got me very focused on this. As like I started doing sports Pilates a lot more, it became you know at least once a week in my routine with some with strength work because when you're younger you can get away, your body recovers quicker. When you're older, you need to activate the muscles. You need to switch on these muscles to take pressure off the other joints. I said it's like, imagine like if me, this is a classic Irish person making a, a bar fight reference, but uh, I don't really drink, but uh, you'll get the idea, Pete. If you're in a bar and I'm asleep and and someone starts a fight on you, I'm not there. I'm asleep. I can't help you. If you're in a bar and I'm beside you and you're talking and someone starts a fight, I'm at least going to be there to help you, either defuse it or whatever. That's essentially the same. You, the passive structures are always going to be there because they're just being used. If your muscles are asleep, they can't help. But if you do some like, like Pilates or gym work to wake those muscles up, then they're just naturally going to take pressure off those passive structures. So yeah, I've had like the hip injury was the thing that got me very focused on um, hip injury was the thing that got me very focused on Pilates. And then I was doing that with patients and then they come back and there's three, there's three things that make people not move correctly. One is a lack of mobility, either the muscle is tight They've got trigger points in the muscle like knots, so they need to form roll, or the joint doesn't move correctly. So it's it's a mobility issue. The second thing is like an activation. They can't actually switch on the core. They can't really switch on the glutes. You know, if they did a bridge, they just need to kind of contract the muscles to get them innervated. And the last reason is like motor control. Like they don't have the technique or awareness. So that's why I came up with the back aware belts because when people came back, you know, from my clinic, I would try to get them to squat and they're rounding through their backs or they're arching through and watching the plank. And I was like, God, if I, they need, if they, if they had me by their side all the time, they, they would never do what they're doing. So, you know, I've been three years trying to like get that. We're finally basically ready, but uh, it's a thing to give you feedback on your position. So yeah, that was a, a, well, that, a long I wanna, I wanna, But I want to talk to, because I want to talk about the integration, how you integrate Pilates into running. And then obviously we yeah. want to talk about off-season conditioning. But what occurred to me, Owen, as you're describing that, how, because I know for years there's been that battle between runners who like to strength train and runners who don't strength train. They just want to run. In your yeah. experience, in your, well, what you've seen in your 20-year career as an elite runner, how has strength training changed the, the running game? Has are more runners adding strength training to their programs? And how has that changed the overall running landscape? Well, elite runners do strength training anyway, because it just keeps, there's, again, I don't, I keep going on. There's three things that look for running performance. The main reason you do strength training or Pilates is to prevent injuries. It's you need to wake up the muscles, especially when people are doing long distances, marathons, half marathons. These things don't use your muscles at all. So, like we have our Pilates program. It's a grudge purchase. Like runners want to run. I don't want to do Pilates. I I actually like enough. I like the gym a little bit, but it's not like my favorite thing. I can just go out with my runners. I do it because I don't want a hip injury. I do it because I know if I leave it off after a while, things start getting niggly. And you learn that the hard way. And a lot of runners 
they're not told that they're they're they do a stretch and they're sitting for 10 hours and they're then looking at me oh do this 30 second stretch why is that not working because you sat you sat on your ass for 10 hours every day and you thought a 30 second stretch was going to like help you it's not you need concentrated work so it's not this isn't uh Oh, it's it'll be good. You need to be doing this at least once a week. And it's like, I know you're not going to enjoy it. If you're looking from a performance perspective, there's there's three things that allow good running. The first is a VO2 max. It's just how much you can use oxygen. You're kind of that's kind of God given. You, you can't really change that. The second thing is your lactic threshold, which you can change. It's like, how long can you stay aerobic as opposed to anaerobic? You know, and and with lactic threshold training. And heart rate training, you get better at that. And for anyone serious on running, look up a lactic threshold test, get a get a chest monitor strap. It's about $100, $200 maybe. If you got one test, you'd be done for life. Uh, really important to have that in. And the last thing is running economy. It's like, it's like a car, the wheels need to be pumped up. The engine needs to be running smoothly. And with us, it's like, if you're running and you have a lot of energy leaks, so it's like, you know, you kind of, you drop a shoulder or like, you're not that strong. So you hit the ground and you lose a little bit of the energy. That's like the tires being flat. So running economy, like there's been several, several studies to show that with strength training or kind of Pilates work, that type of work, because it can hold your core in a better position, because you get stronger, your running economy can improve. So the main thing is to prevent injury, but it does improve running economy. So it's a second benefit. Well, Owen, I, I really appreciate you calling that out because I think a lot of people overlook the fact that that's why athletes train, right? I mean, a large reason why athletes do strength training, it could be rugby, football, basketball, running, is to reduce the risk of injury. They try to control yeah. it. It's, it's not. And that's the funny thing. I think so many people get that confused is what I do in the weight room isn't necessarily going to make me a better rugby player or isn't going to make me a better football player. I got to go out and do the reps. I still got to go out and do yes. the practice. All the weight room does is it makes my muscles stronger, capable of generating more energy when I need it or when, yeah. when anybody needs it, and should theoretically help me recover a little bit quicker. And I just, I just want to call that out. And I want to come back to what you said about lactate threshold training. Why, why is lactate threshold training so important for endurance athletes? Why does training at, at LT, and, and, and for listeners – any, if you get that burning sensation in your muscles and, yeah. and breathing is getting pretty hard, what you're doing is you're burning more carbohydrate. You're training it in an intensity, so you're burning more carbohydrate for fuel. The, the byproduct of carbohydrate metabolism is lactate, is blood lactate, which actually gets recycled and converted back into energy in a different process. But that blood lactate is just an indicator of the amount of glycogen or carbohydrate being used during exercise. What? Why is that such an important indicator, and what does that represent? Yeah, because there. So there's two, like, like you're saying there, like, so if you're using oxygen, we we're always breathing, right? But like when you see a sprinter, they can really hold their breath as they sprint because, as you said, if you can go, your body is able to produce energy without without oxygen being the primary energy source. You'll see if anyone's ever done a 400 meters or um, a, a, a flat out sprint they've got it where as you said your legs are burning your muscles are burning you can barely move you might get sick after a race um, that's the anaerobic system that's that lactate is in your system now you can't run 5k is like 95% aerobic and as you go up like 
the rest of them are like way more aerobic than that. It gets to 96, 97, you know, like, you know, marathons like 99.7% aerobic. So you can't, you can't improve your aerobic performance, which is what you want to do at a 5k or a 10k or a half marathon or a 10 mile. You can't improve the aerobic performance by training anaerobically. Do you know, it's like, it's like, you can't, it's like if you had a car, um, I don't know. What's that like hundred meter or hundred meter sprint car race? You know, where is it? Dog, oh, like I don't the, know the quarter mile, the quarter mile sprint. Yeah. It's a quarter yeah. mile and you can do that in about four seconds, depending on your car. Yeah. So it's like, say a quarter mile race. If you, if you had all your engineers training for a quarter mile, but then put it into Le Mans 24 hour and wonder why the hell you're not doing well. And it's the same thing. So if you know your lactic one, when we're working as well, if we have heart rates, it's like, some days you're going to be tired. Some days you're going to be uh, a little bit more stressed. You just go on the heart rate. If you're tired, you'll just naturally run slower, but you'll still be at that L lactic threshold zone. If you're doing it off times or just like really going hard, you're training anaerobically, which is not how you're going to race. So you're training the wrong system and it feels harder. If you don't have a heart rate monitor, the way you would do it is singing one line of a song. So if you were able to go happy birthday to you and then had to take a breath, you were probably at lactic threshold. If you're running and it's like happy birthday to, and you're having to take a breath before you can finish the sentence, you need to slow down. And it's, it's, it's counterintuitive. When I started this type of training, I came from 800 meters, which is, you know, 50% anaerobic. So I was very good at the anaerobic side. And I remember starting to train aerobically and it felt like I was cheating. I was like, this is so easy. It's ridiculous. You know, there's no getting sick. There's no like, you know, really burning legs. But I ran better. I actually qualified for Ireland at the 10K cross country because all of a sudden I was actually training my aerobic system predominantly, which I hadn't been doing before. I had been training my anaerobic system and trying to use that an inefficient system to get around. Well, I'm going to, because a, a colleague of mine many years ago, when I worked at the American Council on Exercise, a colleague of mine had qualified for the, it wasn't the sprint, it wasn't the Ironman, it was it was the Olympics. She had qualified like yeah. in, the, in the over 40, I think she was 44 to 40, she was 40 to 44 maybe at the time, but she had qualified in the Olympic triathlon distance um, for the world. And, but she was oh, having please. a problem in finishing her races. She would bonk and, and lose carbohydrate. And what we found, my colleague and I, he did the testing on her. We found that, and this is for listeners, we found that she was training at too high of an intensity, just like you described, Owen, because if you train it, if if many runners and many cyclists think they need to go hard and they need to feel work, but if you're doing that, you deplete carbohydrate and muscles only have your, your body only holds maybe 40, 50 minutes of carbohydrate. After 40 or 50 minutes, you need to go into, you're either going to convert amino acids into fuel or you need some kind of carbohydrate source. And, and, and the timing is going to be off depending on the individual. But that's just even that. That, that anaero- sorry, the anaerobic system, you're so right. It's like there's a, there's a thing even past the carbohydrate. It's just that, as you were saying, if you train past about 80 to 90%, if you start going to like 95%, you, 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 you're, it's too hard an intensity for you to use oxygen efficiently. So you start going to that inefficient system called the anaerobic system, whereas you're going to start feeling that lactic. So you what you want to do is, I, I don't know if people are going to see this, but say here's my lactic threshold line. 
if I'm training here aerobically, what I want to do is if I train aerobically, I'm basically like just topping that up a little. So all my training, if I'm kind of hitting here like that, over time, I, the amount, the speed I can go and the, inten- the speed basically because the intensity will feel the same. It goes up to here. Okay, so now when I'm running, I can run at a much faster pace and stay aerobic. If you're here and you start training too hard, you never move this up. You just get better at training here. And in the race, like you can't stay here for that long. That's what's going to happen. You're going to go off hard. You're always going to die in the middle of the race. And at the end, you'll be able to give a big sprint because you can kind of gut it in and you're good at the aerobic. But it's counterintuitive. You need to train at 80, 85%. You top this one up and then you have a new um, new capability to train at that. And then you still can go into your anaerobic at the end of the race. Well, but, and that's um, my, my, that, but that's my understanding of, of for distance athletes is that the purpose of tempo days and sprint days is to train at that to train at a race pace to train at a tempo. Yeah. Like if you're if you're training for like a fifteen hundred meter, you might run four hundred or eight hundred splits at that fifteen hundred meter tempo, but you're not going to run the full fifteen hundred tempo. But what you're doing is you're maybe doing one training day a week where you're running at threshold to try to bump. Exactly. And what what he was showing for listeners, what he was showing is showing it using his hands to show the red line, so that doing most of your training aerobically. When you do do a threshold run and you do do that that threshold day, it allows you to elevate your threshold so you can stay aerobic longer, which yes. allows you to spare your glycogen. So when you do need to pull in for that final two to 300 meter burst in the 800 meters, and when you said that earlier about the 400 meter, I had a funny image, man. I used to do the four, 200 and 400 when I was training competitively for rugby, man. That last, I learned very yeah, well how exactly. to time the first 300 meters because the first couple of times I try to run a 400, obviously as a meathead, I go all out. And I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. 200 meters into it. I'm just like, that last 200 meters is excruciating. Yeah, Learning how to yeah. pace yourself so you learn how to kick in that final 50 to 80 meters really makes all the difference in the world. But that's energetically. And, and I appreciate that conversation because I don't think people really understand that a lot of runners out there train too hard. And I know that sounds yeah, intuitive. Way too, just yeah. as you're saying, we need to be aerobic. Now, let's shift gears a little bit because I want to talk biomechanics. At what point were you introduced to Pilates and why did you start integrating Pilates in your running training? Mainly because of that hip injury. Um, I was just, and I've changed my, my Pilates is different than other Pilates. So it differs in two ways. When you do physiotherapy here and you're doing rehabilitation, I would have done courses in Pilates. And then I would have had like the Grey Cook FMS stuff that I was like engrossed in. And I know there's Shirley Sharman and there's like, Vladimir Yanda and everyone there. So I had these these ideas. And then I like calling it, it's a modified version of Pilates, but people at least understand what Pilates is. When he was calling it functional fitness, didn't have a clue what I was talking about. So, but the Pilates was really good for the movement base to get like, as we were talking about at the start, well-rounded, like, you know, good balance, good, like knee dominant exercises activating the glutes activating the the you know the glute medius on the side with clam muscles activate activating the core what i do with sports pilates is when i activate the muscles on the ground i get them on their feet so we try to get used to using the muscles nearly nearly isolated with like our bridging or in our uh core exercises like superman but then get on your feet and hold the same good form 
in standing exercises that replicate exercises that you might do in running. Um, so yeah, that and, th- and then I found they were the things that kind of kept my hips injury free, that kept like everything correct. And then if I was doing the gym, that's always where I start as well. So if I think of it of a, a pyramid, it's like at the base is good movement ability through different ranges. And then, um, yeah, actually I'll leave it at that there for a second, that that's, that's why I started. It helps prevent injury and I got good range of motion. But the two things I do that I don't agree with in Pilates is one, get on your feet more. So you get used to using the extra, the muscles that you've activated and second, keep a neutral spine. I hate all that, like imprinting on the floor, roll down, stuff like that. I like just getting people aware of a neutral spine a lot more. Well, let's stay with why is it so important to do that isolation work on the floor? What about floor work allows muscles to kind of reset and, and re, I guess, re-educate themselves would be, the, would be the right, would be the term I would use. Yeah. You just want to make it, you need to drop it back down as simple as needed for the person to kind of consciously start contracting the muscles. Because we get like a little bit of, say, gluteal amnesia, like you're sitting on your bum muscles 10 hours they essentially switch off so if i got someone up and try to get them doing like a single leg deadlift or a squat and then for it to contract their their muscles correctly they just don't have them switched on so there's two things you need to do when we have good movement as we said mobility is the first thing you need to get the joints moving correctly again and then the next level is like stability is activation and the easiest way to activate them is like on the ground like you know, arch your back, come all the way up, lift your stomach up away from the ground. It gets you used to just like contracting the core muscles, squeeze your bum, come up into a, a bridge and and k- repeat the action enough times till they start feeling the glutes burning. And then when you have the mobility and you have the muscles essentially fired up from like easy, you know, like a bridge is easy to do. Squeeze your bum, lift your, lift your hips into the air push your feet hard into the ground, like keep your belly button in. Like these are, after a couple of weeks, these are easy. Then you have this, then you have the building blocks to get back on your feet. And now you can work on what we call motor control, like the technique, get the technique, you know, keep the knees out. They have the muscles firing so they can do it correctly. So that's why we start with on the ground and then move up. Well, no, I like that. I mean, it's a great way because because the way I learned it is very is isolate. We got to isolate the strength, re-educate, kind of reactivate the muscles. Yes. And the one thing, Owen, I've always looked at is, is I always look at, at floor work, at groundwork is kind of removing gravity, right? I mean, because when you're running, oh, yeah, you have like to that. deal with gravity and ground reaction. You have to deal with those, you know, those competing forces. And for listeners, ground reaction is every time you step on the ground, there's a force going up through your foot and into your leg that depending on your pace of running can be up to about five or six times your body weight in each leg. And, and so what, what I love about that, Owen, and what I love how you're describing it is people don't realize, I think they don't realize that sometimes we need to back off what we're doing, go down on the floor and go through a phase of kind of, re- I, I personally, I personally do this. And right now we're recording this in late November, early December of 2022. Usually I use this time of year personally as kind of a reset period between Thanksgiving and Christmas, where yeah, I brilliant. do a lot of like the reset work to kind of like, I've been training hard all year long. I'm still active, but because of all the stuff that's going on this time of year, I don't, I don't try to overload my system with exercise. I yes. purposely back off exercise 
and focus on mobility, focus on stretching and focus on realignment. That way, when I get back into January and I, I try to coach clients on this too, that way, when we get back to January, we've kind of had a reset of the system. Do you follow, do you kind of practice the same thing? Cause right yeah, now it's a runner. Sense, this is off season for idea. you. So let's talk yeah. a little bit about off season conditioning. How do you approach off season conditioning as a runner? And how do you, how do you coach your client, your, your clients on that as a physiotherapist? Yeah, I think the recycling through things is so important, like resetting. So like even in the gym perspective, I'll always have movement at the base. Then we'll do we'll do like work capacity and work capacity is like anatomical adaptation. It's the ability to tolerate load. So what that means is like, you know, reps of 12, reps of 15, just getting your body generally strong. Like so it gets used to doing, say, a squatting pattern with weight. Once you have that, then you can develop maximal strength because you have a body that's robust. And when you have strength, you have force in the muscles, then you can generate power, then you can generate like plyometrics or speed and cycling people through that. And it's the same with running. The amount of runners I have, if they've done a marathon in the fall and then they're talking about, I'm going to do a spring marathon. It's like, no, no, no. Your body needs a break. It needs a break. You need to reset if you've had a peak and that peak for them would be a couple of weeks off I would then really emphasize, you know, do shorter distances, do your Pilates, get the movement base strong again, and then build back up. And maybe in the spring, do your shorter distances, get like better efficiency in your running, allow the body to reset. And then if you want to do a marathon again, you do one a year, you got your 16 week block and build to the fall again. Otherwise, you're going to increase your chance of injury. And you plateau a lot more because your body just gets used to that kind of sameness of training where it needs a reset to absorb the training it's done. And it needs then to go through the different levels, be it, as you said, that triangle for fitness training or in the gym, or be it for running that if you're doing a lot of distance work, you do come down to kind of more speed work. Or if you've done a lot of speed work, maybe you have a time where you're building your aerobic base and come back up to that. But, but everything needs to be in like, um, a kind of periodized approach where you know you change the you change the goals every so often. Well, let's 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 just break this down real quick, Owen. As as we're looking at this right now, we're going into December, January, and I assume yeah. no matter where people are, unless they're in the extreme southern United States or unless yeah. they're somewhere below the hemisphere, and in the, if they're listening to one of the funny talking places like Australia or New Zealand, where it's actually their summertime right now. Um, but let's talk. take a look for most people in North America or in, in Ireland, the UK. Going into this time of year, like December, January, February, assume that a lot of people are training indoors. And, and let's, say, let's say I'm that average recreational runner where every year I like to do maybe one or two 10Ks, maybe a couple right. 5Ks, and maybe one marathon. How should I approach? How should I approach running during the winter right now in the off-season phase? What should my indoor workouts look like right now? Yeah. So like, say, let's say you're, you're going to be doing five K's or 10 K's in like February or March, and then you'll maybe five K's and you'll do 10 K's in, um, 10 K's a little bit later in the summer. And then you'll start in from July to a marathon or a half marathon base for September. And then you'll break again. First thing is once you've done your big event, you know, take a couple of weeks off, try something different. Maybe it's yoga you do. Maybe it's like hiking. Maybe it's like a bike. Just something that like take that pressure off and just let the body reset for about two weeks. Then you want to go into like just general training and general training for me might look like 
um, one Pilates session, one gym session, one speed session, and then one one threshold work, and then maybe one long, moderately long run. Because one thing you while I while I would say you need different focuses, there is a thing called the acute to chronic workload ratio, and what that means, what what the research in that has looked at is, it's not the amount of load or the intensity you work at, it's sudden spikes in that intensity or sudden spikes in that load. So if I know in the future, I will be going back to like very long running. I might want to keep like a, a 10 mile run in every like two or three weeks, just so that when I go back to like, say 11, 12, 13, it's not such a shock to my body. Like I've, I haven't just been doing five miles runs. Same if, for me, like if I'm going to do faster running now in in February for indoors, like 3K, I'll still be doing strides or a little bit of speed work now. So what you want to do is, as I said, just have a nice general mix when you're in your off season. You might have concentrate on your, your you know, getting your body healthy, be it yoga, Pilates, maybe one gym session. Concentrate on one speed session, which is nice variety, and one kind of tempo session and maybe one longer run, and that's five days in the week. And then when you have your goal, you can look at maybe like six to eight weeks out. If it's a 5K, you start maybe dialing in towards more 5K specific work. Take a week or two off, and then you could dial back into like 10K specific work. Take a week or two off, you can dial back into like half marathon or a marathon block. No, I like that because that's why I want to ask that, Owen, and why I want to speak with you. I want I want listeners to have that formula for if it's wintertime now, don't grind yourself, right? We have this, I mean, yeah. here we are, we have this like 24 hour hustle grind. I got to get up and go. People take pictures of their watches at 430 in the morning because I got to go out and do my work and put my miles in. But everything we know about the body is we don't always need to work. What what What's the role of rest? And, and how often, say you get done, say you, you I'm a recreational runner. I've yeah. done my 5K and I'm getting ready for a 10K. At 5k should I shouldn't need much rest time. That's 3.2 miles, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's if I'm running consistently, there's not really I, I look at a 5k as maybe take two days of just rest. But if yeah, I it, it would depend, it depend if you had if I was going to try run a P a person PR say for a 5k, I wouldn't just target one 5k. I would have like you know, I would have a series of them. I would have like maybe one and then two weeks later I'd have another. And two weeks later, I'd have another. And then I might take a week off. Do you know what I mean? So I might have an eight-week block where I'm building up. And then I'd have a series of 5K races. So I might be doing a lot more threshold work, uh, then getting into specific 5K work. And then with a long run, try a race, see how it goes. If I don't run a PR, or even if I do, you know, take, as you said, a day, two days easy, and then get back into training for the next two weeks, hit that race a day, two days easy into training and hit your last race. And then at least you've had a little series of them and more likely you're probably going to run better in the second or the third one. Your body's just got used to trying to run fast for only three miles, 3.2 miles. No, I like that. And I like that repetition. And, And because I think a lot of people, especially runners, I don't know why, but runners always seem to enjoy being hurt. Every time I talk to runners, yeah, like they got some injury. And again, you're putting a lot of stress on the body, but, but yeah. why is rest so important? I mean, we've learned a hell of a lot more about rest and we, we understand it a lot better now, I think over the last 10 or 12 years, how, how has your approach to recovery changed as we've learned more about that process in the body? 
Yeah, well, I used to not take a rest day and I always have to take one now, especially as you get older. Like in the rest, like training stresses you, but it's actually in the rest time, we call it the invisible training. It's like, what can you do in that time that allows a super compensation for you to get fitter? So you need that rest period, but it needs to be structured. You know, like I think what you said, it's like having different, a lot of times what happens is people just don't have structure. Like you, you're confident now in what you're doing of not training, say, as hard because you know in January, February, that's when you're going to go back in. That gives you confidence. When people are just aimlessly running and then happen to like enter a race, it's when you get like issues, you know, and that's why a lot of people do the marathons. It gives them like one set goal where they should be doing that the whole time. It's like, okay, February look up 5Ks near my area, 5Ks within two hour radius of me. There's going to be loads of them and just book them in and then just work backwards from there. And then if you do, you don't feel guilty if you take a week to recover, to a week to take off every like two months because you know you're getting back into a decent block of training. So rest is really important. One, in the short term, that allows you to recover and benefit from the training but two, the second one is that mental rest and that general like restore it, restoration of the body. If you're just constantly running and there's a lack of variety in your training, um, it doesn't it doesn't allow let things to recuperate. You don't give the the body loves variety and he needs different stresses. If the stress is just constantly like running the whole time, that's where you break down. That's where you get injuries because you have a lack of variety. So the same part of the joint is taking that load, the same part of the tendon or the ligament is taking the load, as opposed to someone like yourself, say, doing more movement work now, maybe doing some more balance work, then maybe some strength work, then maybe some speed work, while also keeping a little bit of the thing that they're going to do in the future in currently, but just different focuses and different goals. Well, and we're going to wrap it up here, but I, re- I really like, I like that idea of you calling out the structured rest, because I think you're hundred percent right. A lot of recreational individuals out there, people training recreationally lack that structure because they lack a specific purpose. And that's why, and you called it out exactly right. Like right now I feel comfortable. I just did a gym session this morning before, before we're hitting record. And I was just using body weight, using, using the TRX, using mobility exercises. Yeah, and to your point, I know that for the next few weeks, I'm not beating my body up. I'm working on recharging the system so that when I do go back into, and I'm saying this for listeners, I'm getting ready to, I'm planning like a big heavy strength phase because I got a new uh, blood flow restriction product. A new, I'm playing with some BFR. Oh, uh, company, yeah, a company sent me a new uh, a new electronic BFR product to test. And I've had a couple people, a couple, uh, re, I've, I've, I've had a couple experts talking about blood flow restriction. So I'm going to play with that again this spring. That's why I'm not, uh, that's why right now I'm focused on kind of mobility and realignment. But to your point, if you are structuring rest, rest does not mean sitting on the couch, eating, watching Netflix and eating Uber, you know, eating Uber. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like you have to have structure. So I look at it personally. I do bodyweight stuff. I walk, I hike, I maybe do some easy bike rides. And here's the other thing, folks, that's really important. If you're going into a rest phase, pay attention to your caloric intake. Because if you're not putting out the same energy level, if you're not doing 8, 10, 12, 15 kilometer training runs, you don't need need to eat for that. So I'm saying that purposely because right now, even though it's a holiday season, as I'm kind of dialing back my my exercise intensity, 
personally, I'm also dialing back my, I'm paying more attention to my nutrition and yeah. really trying to, to, to nail that down. Um, let's, let's wrap this up because you talk about Pilates and you mentioned something about keeping a neutral spine. And that is so critical, whether you're doing strength training, whether you're running, yeah. whatever you're doing, what about, why do we really need to pay attention to body position? What is it about maintaining a neutral spine that can help our performance, whether a runner or, or anything else we might be doing? One, it's like, I'm a, obviously I'm a biomechanist. So like having things in line, uh, allow like the muscles to be at their optimal length, allows the forces to go evenly through the joint. Do you know, if I, if I have a hand and a runner, like a trainer gets, a sneaker gets placed on my hand, it's, it's sore. If I, if someone's wearing a high heel and it comes down on my hand, it's probably going to break a bone. So it's the same thing. If we have things lined up effectively, one, the muscles are in the optimal lens, and two, the, the forces through the body are getting distributed evenly. So it's not just about doing the correct exercises. It's about doing the correct exercises correctly. And like that's, you know, as you said, it's either a mobility issue that is tight. It's either they can't activate the right muscles or it's an awareness issue. And yeah, that's why I came up with the back aware belt to give people that awareness of when they're in that position to practice it in basic exercises and then practice it when they're in their feet on their feet. So using the back aware belt that allows people to kind of feel the difference between being in good form and being in bad form. Yeah. It vibrates if you're in a bad form or you can see it like on your app. Uh, it, it, you'll, you'll see if you arch your back, it'll go out of they go out of the kind of neutral spine range. If you round your back, they'll go out with the neutral spine range. So it's just to give people, like, because if the people have you, Pete, it's ideal. But sometimes, even even for you, like as a training aid for your co- your your clients, because I know you've I've seen it so often. It's like if they could see or feel, if I could get into their body, they would not move like that. And I see that loads of times in the gym. You're like, oh, bleach my eyes, please don't move like that. <laughs> You're gonna hurt yourself, you know. And that's, and that for listeners, I mean, that, that, and that's exactly what I try to do with this podcast, right? That's why I started trying to do that is there's a lot of us that, that, that make a living watching other people move. And I know that sounds a little weird, right? Yeah. I mean, but, but that's what we do. You, you're a bio, you have a PhD in biomechanics. I've been studying people moving in the gym yes. for more than 20 something years. And really, I, 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 I like the product, the back wear belt, and I like what you're doing, integrating Pilates with running. Because those of us who understand movement understand the need, A, for feedback, and that's what the belt provides because it allows you to know in position, and B, changing up your training stimulus. I think that the number one mistake, and I don't know if you could agree with me, Owen, but the number one mistake in my opinion is that people do not change up their training stimulus enough or – the other side of that coin is they train change up their training too often. Meaning yeah, they, yeah. there's no consistency and no no progression, no consistent progression in the workout. Those are just my two observations. In your professional experience, what's a, what's a very common injury or what's a very common mistake by recreational runners? By runners who are enthusiastic, they love the recreation running, but what's a common mistake they make? I was going to say lack of variety as well, like just constantly doing the same thing. Um, and I also think like just even for if people are listening to this podcast, I don't know if you do coaching, uh, Pete, but like invest in yourself. You know, if you're putting in the time and effort into your training, it's 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 just baffling that like that time and effort could be so much better spent. You know, and it's like when you have a coach, when you have someone, a lot of the mistakes I was going to mention just get ignored because like say if yourself, Pete, 
the way you're saying, oh, I'm transitioning here. I think it's so good to have that accountability and to have that trust in someone. So the main ones I would see is, yeah, a lack of variety. They just constantly do the same training and a lack of intentionality, not being like, this is the goal for now. Like you said it brilliantly there. It's like, okay, the goal here is restore my movement, get good movement because I'm going into a strength block. The fact that you know that, I know we, we've we done this for several years. So we we inherently know that, but the amount of people that have no like forward plan of what they're going to do, and then they just kind of waste basically time and effort um, that could that like they're doing the hard bit they're going out for training but they're doing the wrong training because it's not planned or it's it's not considered is is uh criminal well and i appreciate your mentioning that about about the coach you make because i look at it and that's the reason why i write my books is if i were coaching people individually i'd probably be using the books to hit people in the head because why, yeah yeah why you like the information's out there like, Read, you know it's like and, and that's what but but what i like about what i like about talking especially since we've never met before and you're you're coming at this from uh, obviously you're in ireland and you, your schooling was in canada and you're coming at from you have a slightly different background what i love about this is when we have these type of conversations the principles are the same and that, that's the listeners is... I was just thinking the same thing. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, is that you should hear a consistent thread. You should hear a consistent message. Rest, variety, pay attention to nutrition, pay attention to your sleep. And I love the fact that you're hiring, you're, you're calling out hiring a coach. You're calling out hiring somebody that can give you that other point of view. Well, Owen, how can yeah. people find out about the back aware belt? How can people find out? Because you do have a Pilates, an online Pilates program for runners and and again, you're not just a physiotherapist. You're somebody who studies biomechanics, but you're also an elite level runner. I mean, you have a couple running titles under your belt. So I love the fact that you're coming at it from both the academic pr- perspective and you're coming at it from the practical real world experiential perspective. Yeah. And it does help because I think, as I said, sometimes with lectures, it's like some of them just have it like they they know something in theory but they've never applied it it's it's baffling but yeah if anyone wants um i have a book called how to get the line in the best shape possible it's just some articles i've done for different newspapers here in ireland and you can get that at everard e-v-e-r-a-r-d pilates p-i-l-a-t-e-s dot com forward slash book um if people want a free trial of the pilates for a week it's everard pilates dot com forward slash sport free trial and then um for the back aware belt you can just go to backawarebelt.com um we're just getting new units now so <laughs> there's a bit of a delay <laughs> well hey, everything's been on delay and everything's new units and that's at some point i'll be sourcing at some point i'll be sourcing all about fitness products and and, and fitness equipment but that's not oh, yeah my, definitely that's not on my agenda yet and I, I think but i have a lot of respect for people you identified a need you took you you took a shot. You you created a belt. You have an app with it, and I think it just people getting that feedback, some sort of basic level feedback, can help bump up and accelerate their training. Well, hey Owen, yeah, I really appreciate exactly. I, I really appreciate your time today, and I appreciate the conversation about how or what people should be doing in the off season to prepare for a successful running uh, season in twenty twenty three and beyond. Pete, thanks so much. I really enjoyed that. That was brilliant. Cheers. Let me hit this.